going to be reading from Psalm chapter 100, verses 1 through 5. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you land. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures all generations. Well, I am glad to be back with you. Never like being gone, and I miss the congregation uh, when we're away. Uh, I enjoy meeting the brethren <clears throat> from different parts of the country, but there is just nowhere like White Oak, and I appreciate y'all. I'm glad to be back. Uh, let me make mention that uh, if you're visiting with us, and I don't know if I've seen visitors or not, can't see very good. Uh, we've got those coffee cups in the back that have been provided, and uh, make sure you grab one of those. If uh, you haven't grabbed one as a family, go ahead and do that. But uh, we want to make sure the visitors get those. Also, it's been mentioned, uh, uh, Carl and Cindy have talked to a few people about a train ride that we've been talking a little bit about. Uh, that is scheduled for the 28th if we have enough people to go. And let me kind of give you a few details. Uh, we'll leave here the 28th at 10.30 from here at the building. We'll take a, a minibus uh, to uh, the depot in Etowah and uh, uh, a lunch picnic will be provided. The train will leave about 1.30 from Etowah and we'll get back about 5.30. We'll get back here to the building about 7 o'clock. So if you choose to go, we'll leave the building about 10.30. We'll get back sometime around 7 o'clock. Uh, we'll drive to Etowah, take the train, get back. Now this is going to be $55 a person. In, within that is the train ticket, is the uh, uh, transportation from here to uh, Etowah, and uh, I guess the uh, lunch picnic is a part of that as well. Uh, now, here's the thing. We've got to have 25 people to get this group rate, okay? So if you, if you think you're interested in going, you think you can go, let's sign up immediately. There's going to be a sign-up sheet on the bulletin board. So let's sign up as quickly as we can, and the hard deadline is for September the 9th, okay? Now that's going to cut it a little close, really need uh, to know before then, but that's the, uh, that's the, the hard deadline, and like I say, we have to have nine, uh, 25 people to get that group rate if you're interested in going. It'll be a wonderful time, and hopefully uh, several of us can make it, but make uh, checks payable to Carl Purrier. And give him the check or give uh, Cindy the check, and they'll handle it. They're going to take care of everything. Uh, September the 28th. And so uh, September the 9th, again, is a hard deadline. If you have any questions, holler at Carl and Cindy. They've got the answers. And we appreciate them for that. All right. Psalm 100. The title of the sermon this morning is, What Should I Bring to Worship? What should I bring when I come to church? You know, uh, 
we bring different things with us, don't we? You would not believe some of the things that I've seen. You know, when I go places, uh, just went up to uh, Virginia, Minnesota, I took with me and I took this with me. Each time we went to church, each time we went to worship, I took a backpack with me. Within that backpack, and I'll carry it sometimes to services here with me, but it is a backpack for my laptop. In it, I'll have my computer. I may have some notes, some cords, some plug-ins, some different things. I may even have a, a change of clothes in it from time to time. But I bring some, some odd things with me when I come to services, and I've seen some odd things. You know, I've seen uh, uh, outside of the normal... You know, we'll bring snacks or toys or something like that for our young ones, and that's okay. We need to make sure that uh, they've got some things to uh, keep them occupied when they're a little bit too young to be able to be occupied. Uh, we might even bring with us uh, notebooks, something to write with if we're taking notes. We might bring cards that we're going to give to someone. Of course, we're going to bring our Bibles. But you know what I've seen? I've seen uh, from the pulpit, I've looked out into the audience, and I've seen people reading Harry Potter novels. I don't know if that's an indictment on me or not, but uh, I've seen people reading Harry Potter novels. I've seen people balancing their checkbooks, clipping their fingernails, reading the newspaper, talking on a telephone. I've seen a lot of that stuff. I've seen people play on computers, passing notes, and I'm not talking about children. I'm talking about adults, right? The list could go on and on. So the whole the, the idea behind that is, is that we bring things to worship with us. Some things we ought to bring, and maybe some things we ought to leave at home and never bring to worship with us. But there are things that we ought to bring to worship. And when we read Psalm 100, what we have described for us by the psalmist is the description of what God expects when we come together in collective worship. And I think we learn a lot from that psalm. Have you ever thought the worship service lacked something? Have you ever been somewhere, even maybe set... In, in the services here at White Oak, or we've been visiting somewhere, wherever we are, have we ever sat there and thought, well, I think maybe the service is lacking something. And maybe it's even a lacking uh, some emotion. You know, a lot of people in the world, there are denominations in the world that, that look at a service and they say, well, for instance, they may look at our service here. And they may say, well, it just lacks emotion. You know, there's nothing really going on in the audience per se. But you know, our services should never lack emotion. Should never lack emotion. Our worship should evoke and produce emotion. We ought to have it. If we don't have it, I think we're in trouble. But that emotion ought to be an individual response to, uh, to God for what He's done for us. Now here's something that we need to be very clear about. I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm talking about emotion. Not emotionalism. You know, it's easy to produce emotionalism within people. 
charismatic speakers can do it and they can do it in a hurry. They can drag out emotionalism with just a few of the properly orchestrated movements within an event. We can bring out emotionalism. A little hand clap here or there. Maybe uh, a singing of a song and all of a sudden the, the, the properly placed solo at just the exact right time. And boy, and it just brings out the, the emotionalism. Maybe uh, a charismatic preacher using the, the right words and maybe saying uh, certain phrases over and over and over again. And, and it might bring something out in us. You know, it, and sometimes it's almost like a hypnotic oratory, isn't it? It'll grab us, depending on who we're listening to. Hands in the body begin to sway back and forth. Some people have even been known to jump up and run around the room and start saying things and, and no telling what they may say. But they're just all ginned up and full of emotionalism. And I think they're doing it in sincerity. I think they've gotten themselves all ginned up and they're emotional, right? Uh, and all the while, they're attributing these things to God. In fact, I just spoke with a young man prior to services. Some of you saw him. He's gone now. I wouldn't mention this if he were, were still with us. wouldn't want to embarrass him. But he is uh, suffering from some things. And he's been uh, convinced of some things. And while we were sitting in my office, he began to speak in tongues. And he was, he was all emotional. And I said, now look, we don't speak in tongues anymore. There's no one to interpret if we did speak in tongues. But Paul said those things were going to stop. But see, he, he's emotional. And, and, and he got all ginned up and he was excited. And, and, you know, and he contributed that to God. You know, God does not cause confusion, right? Someone will say, oh, I feel God's presence and I just, I'm so excited. There are denominations that say, boy, when the... Holy Spirit grabs a hold of you, you'll feel this warm sensation, or you can know something, you have this sense of euphoria. Now look, I believe they believe that. I'm not disparaging their beliefs, I'm just saying it's incorrect. I'm not making fun of anyone, right? But are all those things examples of worship that give glory to God? Jumping up and and, and reaching our hands toward heaven and speaking some kind of a gibberish and saying I'm speaking in tongues and that the Holy Spirit has me and, and I'm running back and forth and, and I'm just not in good control of my senses. Or my, is that a worship that gives glory and honor to God or is that exhibitionism? I think it's exhibitionism for the most part. I think it is someone allowing unbridled emotion which really is emotionalism, right? Jesus made a few statements about that. He said, those are the kind of people who, who believe or say that, that my faith is greater than your faith because I can yell louder than you. Notice what He said in Matthew 23, 5-7. Jesus said, but all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost room at feast and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. 
they like to be showy. They like to demonstrate their great faith. And, and I've got the Spirit more than you've got the Spirit. But is that the kind of worship that gives glory and honor to God or is that exhibitionism? You know, here is the thing about that. Religion is not a competition. Religion is not about me and my neighbor. Religion is about me and my God. That's what religion is. It ought to be focused on God. It ought to be directed toward the one we worship, not toward other worshipers. Now that doesn't mean we don't benefit from each other coming together because we've been commanded to do that. We've been commanded to come together. That's why Paul made that statement in Ephesians 5.19 for us to come together singing and making melody in our hearts. So we do worship in a corporate way when we come together. But we need to focus on God. And for someone to say, well, that, that worship assembly is lacking emotion. It's lacking emotion because we're not everyone speaking at the same time and, and trying to out-spirit our neighbor in, in different things like that. That makes it not or without emotion. You know, welling up with emotion for the sake of emotionalism is just that. It's emotionalism. We, we are not to do things in worship to be entertained or to demonstrate how righteous I am. You know, if it's better felt than told, that's emotionalism. That's not what God wants. You know what emotion is? Emotions are reactions to events or thoughts that require our conscious awareness. Now think about that. An emotion is a response to something that requires my thoughts and my conscious awareness. Thinking about and considering God ought to bring out in me emotion. I ought to be emotional but not emotionalistic. How can I think about Christ giving Himself on the cross and not be emotional about someone who was innocent dying for my sin? Well, I'm not worthy of that. But because of that, I can become justified in the sight of God. I ought to have emotion produced in me such as contrition, and the sorrow of sin. I ought to feel guilt and pain all for the necessary sacrifice that Jesus gave on my behalf. I ought to feel a longing to be in the presence of God. I ought to have a trembling awe of His glory. That's emotion. I ought to feel that as I come into His presence and worship. I ought to have humility in being able to serve Him, and that why would He even consider me? That ought to be an overwhelming emotion. I ought to have thanksgiving in my heart for all the blessings that He's provided. I ought to be able to think about that. And the very fact, again, that He would even consider His creation when we don't deserve it, but He gave it. Boy, that's an emotion that that we barely can describe. You know, those are all emotions that are rightly 
and properly evoked in us as we come together to worship Him. What should I bring when I come to worship? You know, if I don't have those kind of emotions, I don't think God means very much to that individual. I don't think He means very much to me if I don't have those emotions. So understanding the emotion that we ought to have, what should I bring to worship? You ever thought about what we should bring? Well, the first thing I want us to talk about, I must bring to worship the right spirit. I have to have the right spirit. We see it in Psalm 100. In fact, you know what we're to bring? A shouting spirit. We're to bring a shouting spirit. That's what the psalmist said. Now wait just a second. We just spent several minutes, right, talking about proper etiquette, being respectful, doing things in a, in a reverent manner talking about emotion, not emotionalism. So what, what's going on? I want us to listen to what the Holy Spirit said again, Psalm 100. He said, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. We're to make. You know what that means? That means within ourselves, we are to produce something and offer it to God. Now that specifically is referencing singing songs. We're to make a joyful noise. And let me tell you, we made joyful noises this morning. That was wonderful scene. I appreciated that. The phrase means this. To shout, raise a sound, give out a cry, give a blast. Give out a blast. It might even be in the sense of, of blowing a horn because the enemy is coming. That's what he's talking about. We're to give a shout. It is a public confession of the attributes of God. That is what this shout is. Now we can give a shout and still do it decently and in order. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 40. Because that's what God expects. We better be able to, right? He demands for us to give a shout, but we're to do it decently. And we're to do it in order. We're to do it so... Everyone understands what's going on. We're to do it from His Word. The psalmist is calling on God's people to raise an anthem of praise from their very hearts. To offer that to God. And it is a challenge to all of us to participate in public praise. In Psalm 40, verses 1-3, through 3, David described to the reader, to all of us, what God has done for us when He saved us. He said that He gave us or put a new song in our mouths. He said, even praise unto, the, unto God. Now those songs of praise are to be sung among His people. And we see that in Psalm 100. He says, make a joyful noise. Shout the praise of God. No longer <clears throat> do we sing to the world because He's given us a new song. Now we sing to God. We offer praise to Him. We honor Him for all that He's done for us. He sought us. He bought us. 
He gave us salvation and we do it in the right spirit with shouting. That doesn't mean we're all screaming and hollering and, and we're all saying one thing. Paul specifically addressed those things in 1 Corinthians. One person speak at a time. That's what he said. If you're, if you're speaking in a foreign language, use an interpreter. Don't just speak in the foreign language because no one understands, right? God is not the author of confusion, Paul said. When we come together, our praise is vocal, it's visible, and it's very public. We're not ashamed of God, and we do it for His honor and for His glory. That's why we lift up our voices, making this wonderful noise unto God. The right spirit will be a shouting spirit. We also notice in Psalm 100, it's a serving spirit. We have to bring the right spirit when we come to worship. We're gods and we are to serve Him. Period, right? The word servant or slave, when used in this context, is a, a slave who chooses to be a slave. We choose to be God's uh, slave. We, we give ourselves in bondage to Him. We're going to serve someone in this life, and there are only two options. We'll either serve God, or we'll serve Satan by default. We may not actively pursue Satan, but any time we're not serving God, we are serving Satan. Jesus said this, Luke 16, verse 13. He said, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve God in mammon. We can't serve God in physical things, and Satan is the God of this world. Little g. That's what Paul said. Not the God of this world in the sense that He's the ruler over creation. Talking about this world in the sense of the sins of this world. All of creation belongs to the Creator, but when we chose to be His servants, when we obeyed God, when we put Christ on in baptism, we became His willingly. That's what he's talking about. Remember what Paul told the elders in Ephesus, Acts 20, verse 28? He told them, he said, Take great care, I'm paraphrasing, as you lead the church, over which the Holy Spirit made you overseers. Make sure you feed that church, the church that Christ God purchased with His own blood. He bought us. Now think about that. We're a slave, a willing slave, and He bought us. He paid a price that's the greatest price man's ever known. When he gave himself on the cross, he bought the church, meaning he established the church, Acts chapter 2, as he shed his blood for all of humanity. When we chose to be members of his church, we became his because his church and his body are the same. Colossians 1.18 Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 20, for you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We belong to God. Now, we belong to God whether we willingly give ourselves or not. 
but He wants us to willingly give ourselves, and that is how we gain eternal life. When we bring the right spirit to worship, we're going to have a shouting spirit, we're going to have a spirit of servitude, but we also must bring with us the right submission. That's our second point. What do I bring to worship? The right submission. What's that mean? We're to submit to the person of God. I have to identify God. I have to be able to recognize God. We're told to know that the Lord is God. That's what the psalmist said. We better know our Lord is God. There's only one God. We better serve that God. Now, are there false gods in the world? Sure, so we have to make a distinction. We have to be able to recognize, am I serving the God of the Bible? Because I might think I'm serving the God of the Bible, and in reality I'm serving a whole lot of other things. Now we're going to submit to someone or something in this life, so we better be able to distinguish what those things are. Who is my God? Is it the God of the Bible? Or is it my finances? Is it my reputation? Is it my social status? Is it my job? What is my God? Because anything I place ahead of me and before God is my God. And I have to be able to distinguish. We better never allow those things to take control of our lives. I have to bring the right submission. I have to recognize and submit to the person of God. You know, we're to pursue righteousness. We're to pursue faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart, 2 Timothy 2, 2. I believe that the reason some people have problems making the services of the Lord's church, I think the reason a lot of people have problems participating in evangelistic efforts or any activity that the, the church tries to do to promote the work of God is because they do not know and do not serve the God of the Bible. They're not recognizing who He really is. Because if we recognized who He really is, we would submit to Him and we'd want to submit to Him. We have to submit to the person of God and we also have to submit to the purpose of God. I have to bring the right submission when I come to worship. In the psalm, we're reminded we are who we are because God made us who we are. He made us out of something into something new. We see it in the physical and the spiritual creation. We can go back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and we can see in the physical creation that God took the elements from which He formed the earth or the elements that He brought into existence and formed the earth made the earth out of nothing, he took those same elements and he formed a new creature. And he called that creature man. And from that man he took a rib and he created the woman. So what he did twice, he took elements and he formed something different. He did it with the the dust of the ground, he formed the man. He took a rib, he formed the woman. That's what God does. He makes new creations He makes new creatures. Paul talked about the creation of the new person when we obey the gospel. Notice Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. 
Paul said, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The new person culminated, came about, was created when the old person allowed the message of Jesus to penetrate his heart through the gospel teaching, causing that person to have a faith, a belief in Christ for who he is, recognizing the person of God, wanting to repent of those sins because godly sorrow came into our lives. That's an emotion, and that's one we better have, leading us to repentance, causing us to confess that we believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that His death, His burial, His resurrection is the whole reason and driving force behind me being a new creature, a new creation. Finally, going down into the waters of baptism because it is the, it is the same thing. It's an example of what Christ did. He was buried. He rose again. That's what we do. That's what Paul said. We go into the water. We bury the old man. We put that person to death. That's what he said in Romans 6, 6. We crucify the man of sin, putting him to death. We come up, and now we're a new creature. It's just like in the physical creation. God took one thing. He made something new. He took one person, and He made something new out of that person. I have to recognize His purpose when I come to worship. And that's His purpose. I have to have that correct purpose. When that happens... The psalmist described the follower of God as his sheep. Now just think about the comfort of that. We are the sheep of his pasture. And if we truly understand that, and we want to live that way, we know that God has transformed us through obedience, and he'll take care of us. He'll take care of us. We no longer have to fear or dread the tragedies of this life we've been studying in Revelation, that's what he told them. Revelation 2, verse 10. He said, you remain faithful. I'll give you the crown of life. The saved belong to the chief shepherd. Now think about that. The saved belong to the chief shepherd. That's why David could say this, and you all know it, can probably recite it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. I don't have to worry about that any longer. He takes care of it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's His purpose. That's what He wants. Do we understand that is God's purpose? And we can be a part of it? What do I bring with me when I come to worship the right spirit, the right submission, but I also have to bring with me the right sacrifice. That's our last point. 
the right sacrifice. During the times of the Old Testament, the priest was required to take into the holiest of holies, right, and anoint with oil. One time of year they would take up onto the altar and they would sacrifice the proper sacrifice. It had to be a blood sacrifice, Hebrews 9, 7. Now our sacrifice is different. We still are required to bring the proper sacrifice. What do I bring when I come to worship? The writer of Hebrews said we were to offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. He said that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. So what is the right sacrifice that we bring when we come to worship? Will we bring the sacrifice of praise because of God's goodness? We better always remember that, right? We're told the Lord is good. Everything God does is an expression of His goodness and His love for us. We praise God because no matter what happens in this life, He's good to us and He takes care of us. And we have to understand, right? Paul encouraged the reader, Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Right? We still have to understand the purpose. Now that doesn't mean terrible things will not happen in this life. That doesn't mean that God's people will not get sick and die, be killed in car wrecks, be murdered at the hands of someone else. That terrible things might not happen. We lose our homes, our, our families. We could lose anything in this life that has been given to us, but let's remember the purpose that we be new creatures. That's His purpose. That's how it all works for good for us. In the end, we're a new creature. And when this world is over, we will live eternally. That's how it works for good. We also bring the sacrifice of praise because of God's grace. He's good. And He's demonstrated that by giving us grace. How thankful should we be for that? Have you ever just sat and thought, how thankful should I be to God for His grace? Do we, do we understand what grace is? Unmerited or undeserved favor. Unmerited, undeserved. God had no obligation to offer us life, but He did. Paul said, Ephesians 2, 8, For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And Paul explained how God's grace is accessed through an obedient faith, right? He told those in Rome, read with me, Romans 16 beginning with verse 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel, in the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith, to God only, wise. Be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. God's goodness and grace was presented because He wants all people to be saved. That's the purpose. What do I bring when I come to worship? I think there are some things that we ought to bring and there are some things we ought to permanently get rid of when we come to worship.
We have to bring the right spirit, the right submission, the right sacrifice every single time we come to worship God. To become a Christian, it requires all of those things. To maintain salvation once having obeyed the gospel, it requires all of those things. We certainly need to do it in our worship, but we need to do it in every aspect of our lives as well. Have you ever wondered, what should I bring to worship? Maybe we think about it a little differently now. If you've never obeyed the gospel, come to God. Come to God with the right spirit, the right submission, and the right sacrifice. If you've done that and you've become unfaithful, come back to God with the right spirit, the right submission, and the right sacrifice. Let that be known as we stand and as we sing.